It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, and I don't think I ever remember a Monday in such a long time, but there's so much tragedy and loss of young life being reported in uh, the paper. I mean, a lot of the papers are are covering the really sad story coming out of one of the Greek islands. It's two leaving cert students. They were on the post-exam holiday in uh, Greece with their other classmates and they have died in what their school described as a devastating loss. Uh, Andrew O'Donnell and a fellow classmate, Max Wall. They were both students of St. Michael's College in Dublin and they died on the Greek island of Eos at the weekend. Now, their former school confirmed the two deaths, saying it was a day of immense sadness. The two students are understood to have travelled to the Greek island uh, with friends late last week. Andrew O'Donnell, uh, an 18-year-old, is understood to have gone missing on Friday and then his body was later found by a cliff. But then while people were coming to terms with that and the classmates and his school and friends back in Ireland coming to terms with that really, really sad uh, death, a couple of hours later, the death was uh, confirmed of uh, the other young lad, uh, Max uh, Wall. Um, the uh, I think it, the the sympathy I think of the entire nation was uh, certainly summed up by Leinster Rugby. They offered their sympathy to the families of the two men, and they said in a tweet, "Thoughts with the families and the friends of the young men gone far too young. Look after each other, and hold your young ones that little bit tighter." Now it is understood a large number of Leaving Cert students had travelled to EOS to celebrate the end of their exams with many arriving there just last Thursday and Friday. Department of Foreign Affairs, obviously, they're aware of both tra- uh, tragedies and they're providing uh, consular assistance. But I remember when I when I heard on Saturday of the first young lad, I was thinking of the parents and thinking of, you know, we've all, well, many of us have done that where we have sent our sons and daughters off after the leaving certain holidays and brought them to the airport. And, you know, you hug them that little bit tight at the airport and you tell them to mind themselves and to mind each other. And there's almost a sense of relief when they come back uh, safe at the end of the week. Because for all of those young people. It's their first holiday away without their parents and it's just for the families. My my heart goes out to, to the two families there. And then another very sad story unfolded 
on beautiful Cape Clear Island with the news that a man in his 40s died. Now this is believed to be a really, really tragic accident. It seems he was trying to retrieve a football. Uh, Gardaí are investigating all the circumstances of the discovery of the man's body on Cape Clear on Saturday. Now seemingly what happened was the man along with, I'm assuming other family members were kicking the football around, having a little game of football and the ball went over the cliff and the man set off on foot uh, to try to get the ball back. Then he failed to return. Family obviously raised the alarm. Search and rescue operation was uh, carried out and it involved the Irish Coast Guard helicopter, Rescue 115, the Baltimore RNLI lifeboat, the Alan Massey uh, was involved. And then sadly, the body of the man was recovered and taken to Baltimore RNLI station. And that's where, sadly, he was uh, pronounced uh, dead. I don't have, an, uh, have a name. It's just it's understood that the deceased man is just from somewhere in County Cork is all that we have so much. So, again, sympathies to that man's uh, family on what, you know, sounded like a lovely day out with the family. They were holidaymakers or day trippers or um, they live on the island. I, I don't know. But, you know, having a kick around with the football that so many families would have been doing at the weekend. But who was to know that it was going to end? in such awful uh, tragedy and then deaths on our roads we have a uh, teenager and a man in his 20s both killed in crashes in North Cork and they were just actually hours apart now GSOC the Garda Siakona Ombudsman Commission uh, that's the Garda Watchdog they're investigating the death of the 16 year old who has been named as uh, Johnny Foley from Spur Hill in Cork City he was the passenger in the car that drove the wrong way down the M8 collided with another car and it was at Ballybeg uh, just outside of Mitchellstown and the other car was who was driving in the right direction was being driven by a woman in her late 30s it was a head on collision one o'clock in the morning, Friday into Saturday uh, morning. And uh, Johnny Foley was one of five people travelling in what we now know was a stolen Toyota Corolla. It had earlier come to the attention of the Gardaí. The driver of the stolen car was believed to be 17. There was three other teenage passengers, the youngest of which was, to, was a 14-year-old girl all of them were taken, obviously, by ambulance to Cork University uh, Hospital, uh, but they've all been treated for non-life-threatening uh, injuries. The woman who was driving the other vehicle is being uh, treated in the same hospital, Cork University Hospital, but seemingly she has very, very serious injuries. Some of the reports are it's life-changing injuries. God help her. She's from the Glanmire area and it's reported she was on her way to Dublin Airport. I think it was to get an early flight. Obviously, all going off on holidays Uh, how could she have predicted that somebody was going to be driving the wrong way down the uh, motorway now the matter had to be referred to GSOC because the Gardaí have been trying to stop the stolen uh, car it's understood according to Shauna Reardon in the examiner, the Gardaí came across the car after going to Glanworth. Now, a householder in Glanworth had reported an attempt to steal their vehicle. The Gardaí stopped, tried to stop this Toyota Corolla at the, the nearby village of Kildallery. The car failed to stop. The car, they followed the car then as it went towards Kilbehany, that's on the Cork Limerick border, uh, but then decided not to pursue. As I said, it simply would have been uh, too dangerous because at Junction 12, the stolen car then drove on the slip road uh, on the wrong side of the motorway. So the Gardaí stopped their pursuit. And the Gardaí 
are saying that they are now dealing with an increasing number of incidents of suspects who end up driving the wrong way down a motorway or a dual carriage and that the criminals are doing that in an effort to escape. In almost all circumstances, safety protocols mean pursuing Gardaí are required to call off the chase once a car enters the motorway on the wrong side. And according to um, uh, somebody within Angarda Siakona, uh, claimed they know we can't chase them and they're taking advantage of that. He said, if we, the Gardaí, do give chase, then we end up facing disciplinary action because GSOC uh, gets in, involved. Now, Gardaí are appealing to uh, anyone who may have witnessed the incident or anyone who's got... Uh, video footage and dash cam footage please contact Mitchellstown Gardaí on 025-84833 and thoughts uh, very much with the family of that young boy that uh, Johnny Foley who's died but thoughts very much with that young woman who is in hospital with as I say uh, some are reporting her life changing uh, injuries and then so many hours later Gardaí are appealing for witnesses to another serious incident in North Cork. This happened in Fomoy Town less than 24 24 hours after the incident on the uh, M8 and in the second incident a uh, passenger, a man in his 20s, was fatally injured. This was another two-car collision. It happened on McCurtain Street in Formoy at about 20 to 9 on a Saturday night. The man in his 20s was a passenger in one of the cars. He was taken to CUH and he died of his injuries. The driver of the other car, a woman in her 50s, was also taken to hospital, but her injuries were not described as, um, they were described as non-life-threatening. And guard the European to anyone again who witnessed that crash to contact them. They're particularly looking for people who were travelling along the street between half past eight and nine o'clock on Saturday evening who may have phone cameras, dash cam fo- footage, to please contact from Moygar, the station 025 82100. Uh, and of course, as we're hearing this morning on our news bulletins, a man is due in court this morning in connection with that crash where uh, the other man was uh, killed. A number of people uh, texting and WhatsApping, many saying that they don't have a lot of sympathy for the teenagers that were in the uh, stolen car who were all in hospital. Now, they, it is non-life-threatening uh, injuries, um, uh, but a lot of people having sympathies for the woman in the other car uh, who has now ended up and is um, you know, fighting very, very serious injuries indeed. Someone said her life will never be the same again. Our sympathies should lie with her. But I suppose the young, the, the 16-year-old boy who uh, died, it's his family, I suppose, you have to think of as well. And someone has said it is ludicrous. How are the Gardaí meant to do the job if these criminals know that all they have to do is drive the wrong way down a motorway or a dual carriageway and the Gardaí will stop pursuing them? Uh, the laws have got to change. Gardaí, Gardaí are not able to do their jobs because if they try and do uh, their jobs, criminals are taking advantage of this and it's the Gardaí who end up facing discipline. No wonder, says one texter, 
nobody wants to become a member of Angarda Siakona and why they're having so much problem with recruitment. 0818103103 Some of your thoughts coming into us uh, this morning. Now on a lighter uh, note, every day this week we are giving away overnight stays for two people in the Maldron Hotel. Now the Maldron Hotel is located right in the heart of Cork City Centre and it makes it the perfect place for a break in the Rebel County. So if you want to do a little bit of a staycation. That's what we're hoping to do, give you a night away in the uh, Maldron Hotel. And what we're going to ask you to do on this one is to identify a famous couple. It's famous duos. I'll give you one half of the duo and you will have to try and identify the other half. I'll give you more details of how you can enter later on on the programme. But your chance to win every day this week an overnight stay for two people, including bed and breakfast at the Muldron Hotel. Now, last week, the Ombudsman for Children's Office published a report highlighting the case of a teenage girl referred to as Ivy. 17-year-old Ivy was forced to wait five years for spinal surgery for her scoliosis which saw her spine curvature deteriorate from 30 to 135 degrees in that time. So to discuss the plight of other children waiting on surgery I'm joined by Amanda Cocklam. Now Amanda is co-chair of the Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Paediatric Advocacy Group. Good morning to you Amanda. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for having me well, on. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Firstly, Amanda, your reaction to the Ombudsman report uh, last week, it was very tough reading. Very tough reading. Um, and my heart goes out to Ivy and her family and everything they've had to endure. I'd like to say it's an unfamiliar story, but it's not. And my own son lives with an operable scoliosis after sitting four years on the waiting list within CHI. So uh, I'm... I'm I'm personally aware of of everything that family has gone through. And unfortunately, I'm aware of many more families that are currently going through the same. So you've got people on waiting lists um, almost as long as Ivy? Yes. Oh, yeah, we have. So I don't know if you remember, but we ran the Poshing Pain campaign last year I in do. relation to the needs of complex children. And we were involved in securing the 19 million euro in extra funding for what the Minister for Health called the Scoliosis and Spina Bifida Recovery Plan. Um, we That money was to go directly, according to the Minister, was to go directly into the direct provision of services for children with scoliosis and or spina bifida to, and yet again, the four-month uh, promise was made. And I have children who are waiting over four years. CHI will confirm that children with spina bifida are the longest waiters for paediatric spinal, complex spinal work. You mentioned your own son there, Amanda. Are you saying he waited so long that it was simply then too late? Yeah, my son is 18 years of age and he was involved in the first scoliosis. um, What can I say? A scandal that came out 2015, 2016. My son spent four years on a wait list. And for by the time he saw an orthopedic surgeon, a very skilled orthopedic surgeon, we were told he was inoperable. We sought a second opinion from another pediatric surgeon. And unfortunately, we were told the same. His spine had fused in the wrong position and it was just simply too dangerous to operate. So my son now lives at 18 years of age with an operative scoliosis. He has spinal bifida as well. And what what does that mean for his future life, Amanda? 
Um, we are one of the very fortunate ones that my son's curvature is um, not pressing on any vital organs. Um, we, The second paediatric orthopaedic surgeon that we saw was uh, a doctor by the name of Dr. Connor Green, and he uh, helped us stop my son from deteriorating any further. My son is stable now because he stopped growing. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we like it was down to pure dumb luck that my son has ended up in a stable position and not a life threatening one. Goodness me. And, and the one thing I found really hard, you know, reading Ivy's report last week was, you know, this little girl, young, young, well, young girl was was in pain, finding it hard uh, to breathe. It's very hard, Amanda, for parents to watch their children in pain. When they know as parents they can't do anything to stop that pain. It's uh, it's torturous to watch your child suffer and not be able to fix it or like get somebody to listen is the most frustrating and agonizing thing for any parent, let alone a child with complex needs. Like most children with spina bifida, it's spina bifida is described as being a snowflake condition because two children can have the type same type of spina bifida, but it can f- affect them in dramatically different ways. Um, Children with spina bifida need a multidisciplinary team approach. They have numerous specialists involved and they should be monitored for this condition. But they need timely access to care because they deteriorate at a much quicker rate than their neurotypical peers than a normal child. So any because a lot of our our children are wheelchair users or have mobility issues. So because they're sitting and is not as active as other children, they deteriorate quicker. To have your child sit and wait on a waiting list for to see a surgeon, then to sit and wait on a waiting list to act access a service. When the service is active, accessed in a timely manner, the outcomes are fantastic. But look at last year's campaign. Look at look at the lens parents had to go to. Mm. Look at the children on national television, on radio, on news on a Sunday night, crying, looking for. Looking for treatment. No family should have to do that. No family should have to put their child on the media to access medical care. It's 2023. We are not a third world country. The the funding, if I remember rightly, Amanda, last year, it was 19 million euro, wasn't it? It was an additional 19 million euro went to for what the minister told us was for the scoliosis and spina bifida recovery plan. And the minister sat in a meeting with me and told me that directly. He told me we would have direct engagement with the minister's office to ensure that no more children suffer. I have families suffering. I have small, vulnerable children suffering. And I it, have some it... of the longest waiters on CHI's waiting list suspended. And did it make any difference? The nineteen million. It did make it. It did make a difference. It made a huge difference. So, uh, a small portion of that money went into the Cap Kids initiative, which wasn't part of the initial funding for last year but um on the back of the campaign and the work that was done uh, by doc not just by us but by medical staff um kappa was funded and a, a massive amount of children particularly those with spina bifida had surgery there uh, last year um unfortunately kappa didn't have the 
ability to take all of the children. So the more complex ones are still sitting on CHI's waiting list. But we're still waiting for a 50 year to come in that has been promised for the last 18 months, let alone a new yeah, children's hospital. Uh, yeah, and I know I was reading data that was published by the CHI. This is Children's uh, Health uh, Ireland. And that showed 165 children waiting for spinal fusion procedures, 128 for other spinal procedures. A further 28 surgeries were suspended. One specific My type children are on the suspended list. One specific type of surgery is suspended while a scoliosis external review is underway. What what does it, what yeah. the hell is that all about? So there was an external review called for and uh, now it was called for and we fully support the external review. The external review was called for into the care and post-operative care for chil- of children with spina bifida. So uh, just to clarify, the only surgery that has been on suspended due to that external review because there's a lot of informa- misinformation going on is the, the surgery for those with spina bifida. It okay. does not affect general scoliosis surgery. It is only affecting these. It's currently affecting three. It has currently affected three of our children, the most complex children. They are the children that are sitting on the suspended list because of that external review. The external review we participated in and it's been conducted and we're just waiting on the recommendations to come down for it and they should be down shortly. Um, after that, that's what the external, but the external review was to benefit the care of these children. It wasn't, it wasn't to, to cause any problems or anything. And it was something that was asked for by the medical team in Temple Street, was supported by the medical team in Temple Street and is supported by us externally because there had, like, there has to be a way to prioritise the care of these children, knowing that they deteriorate at a much quicker rate. Yeah. So the external review is something that we do support. I don't support the suspending of surgeries obviously because no child should have to wait, wait to access yeah. and, and I know they talk about the, the number of surgeries that were performed last year and uh, they also talk about there was 28 outsourced uh, operations is that an option? Send the children overseas? Outsourcing for children no, outsourcing for children with complex needs is never, so you look at the outsourcing that went on into the, I think there was a team from the UK did outsourcing and a team from Germany did outsourcing uh, did outsourcing surgery so you're talking about transporting a child who's medically vulnerable already to a situate, to another country for surgery and then bringing that child back into this country where no surgeon to no aftercare effectively so, so it like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not, not that's not an option. What needs to happen? And if you, Patricia, if you look, if you look at the funding that goes into our health service, and you look at the funding that goes in uh, 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 overall, not only nationally but internationally, we have one of the most yeah. expensive healthcare systems yeah, in the country. Per head of population, we spend the yeah. most. Yeah, we spend the most per head. Yeah, in yeah. Europe, but yet we have children who are waiting. In pain, surgery. In, in pain, in pain, and and a child who was having difficulty breathing. It, it's it's just shocking. Will the national- listen? I I've children. I've children sitting at home with open wounds, open sores, not able to participate in school, not able to go to parties, not able because they're waiting for surgery. And why why have they open wounds? Because their bones are protruding out through their skin. Oh, Amanda, that's the reality. <laughs> That's the reality that faces these families. Like, and an external review, just to go back, external review went on into the care of these children in Temple Street, not in CHI as a whole. This is what people aren't understanding. These children are treated across a dual site. That external review only went on on one site. It didn't go on on another site. 
that hate, other site is still fully functioning. And I, I hate to mention the word of the National Children's Hospital because God knows we've been talking about that for for so long. But will that <sighs> will that will that help? Most of my children won't see the inside of the. If any child over the age of ten will not see the inside of that that new children's hospital, let's just call a spade a spade and a shovel a shovel. Like um, the minute the Leo Varadkar said in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one that we'd have a new fully functioning children's hospital by twenty twenty two, or pigs would fly. We still don't have a children's hospital, and I don't see any flying pigs. So, like yeah. we're still we're waiting eighteen months for a new theatre to be built for a fifth theatre to be built and operational within temp within inside Temple Street that's one room yeah that surgeons are begging for Damn. and they're not just begging for it the last 18 months and nobody holds the medical staff trying to meet the needs of these children accountable no family no parent the resources aren't there to support these wonderful wonderful medical professionals who are highly competent they're not they are as frustrated as well listen uh, Amanda Absolutely. it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking to you we will no doubt speak again but in the meantime thank I'm you I'm sure for that. we will Patricia and, thank you so much for having me on well it was our pleasure thanks a million Amanda God bless uh, bye bye that is Amanda Coughlin uh, what a great advocate she is as well she's co-chair of the Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Paediatric Advocacy uh, Group 0818 103 103 I don't think I can get that image out of my head of a child sitting uh, children sitting somewhere in this country with open wounds because a bone has protruded out through their body because they're waiting for scoliosis surgery. What is wrong with this country? A discussion at council level about the lack of taxis or hackneys has led some to suggest that areas of the county are dying because people can't access transport. Former county mayor, councillor Danny Collins, joins me to outline how bad the situation actually is on the ground, particularly in parts of West Cork. Good morning to you, Danny. Morning, Patricia. And you're you're welcome to the programme. Um, Firstly, I spoke with uh, Fianna Fáil councillor Sean O'Donovan about the possibility of Uber coming to uh, rural Ireland. You've looked into that suggestion, but you're not totally in favour of it. No, because um, simple reason, I I did meet with two um, taxi companies in in County Hall while I was mayor um, when this motion was put forward. And they taught me basically like Uber, it's um, a private company, like, it's a, an app, really. And, like, any of their drivers are, like, they're not guarded vetted. You, you don't know who's driving, like. And, like, in, in certain states where it's, it is legal in states in America, at the moment they're trying to recall it because of crime that's happening, because the drivers that are driving are basically not, you know, not, not guarded vetted and no, no one knows what their background. And this can be a cause for, um, for danger for the passengers who use, use, use uh, the Uber system. Yeah, so while the, while the system looks good, there's a safety aspect to it that certainly would need to be looked into before we would uh, introduce it. So the alternative then is for people to get a PSV uh, licence. How difficult is it to get a PSV licence? I've spoken to people now who have gone for the exam. I, I know one gentleman who, um, like he said, he, he the first two times he failed it, and he said if he was going to fail it the third time, um, he wouldn't have gone anymore. And basically, like, the silly questions that are on this exam, like um, like I've heard, like what street number is such and such a hotel in Cork, um, the Bantry Hospital. What is the the the, the townland in Bantry Hospital? A lot of people would think Bantry Hospital is in a, a, a townland called Drumlee. Yeah. Basically, it's not. It's it's in a, an old named townland that's been there for years. And I I I could ask a lot of people in Bantry what 
I did say Drumlee, but the, the old name of it is Character Guest. Like, you know, these city, you know, like in this day and age, most people have sat navs and whatnot. Absolutely. And, and everybody and, and lots of people use, for example, their postcode. And you just put that into the sat nav and it brings you right outside the door. I mean, God, are the days where a taxi or a hackney would need to know every single by road and back road. Yeah, because like this is really deterring different other people from going for, for the exam because like it, there's a cost in going for the exam each time you go for it. And basically, like, you know, you know, you're going and you, you feel like, you know, it's 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 done against you. Like like one of our counselors said uh, a couple of years ago, you, you nearly need a, a college degree to, to, to pass the exam. So, like, you know, the system has to be made easier. Of course, drivers would have to be um, guard vetted and check behind their, 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 their pass. But like, you know, at the moment, you have different areas throughout um, West Cork and not even West Cork alone. I, I was just talking to a couple yesterday evening who were down in Waterville in, in Kerry and they were down in, um, on Saturday night and they decided to go out there because they were staying in the bed and breakfast. The bed and breakfast was outside the, the village of Waterville and they were told there was only one taxi driver on that night or hackney driver in the area. They got him. But he basically told them that they, he'd have to take him home at 11 o'clock because he was booked up for the night. And like, you know, the system, we have different areas. We say, we'd say Goleen, Kilgrahan, Glengarf. Like there's no um, taxi or hackney service in that area, like at, at certain hours of night. Like, and there's restaurants, public houses and different services that are, that, that, that are um, suffering over this. And of course, you know, your day job is you, you run you run a, a bar, the Boston Bar. So you would meet members of, of the public. Do you hear a lot about people complaining about the lack of taxis and hackneys? Is it widely spoken every, about? Every weekend, ma'am, Patricia, but even I, I meet people there maybe during the week and they say, oh, we don't go out anymore because it's, it's hard to get a taxi or we can't get a taxi home. Like, you know, because like, the, the, all right, we do have four taxi and hackney services here in Bantry at the moment they're doing the best they can but they can get drivers and like you know they're on from maybe eight o'clock in the morning but they, they can't be doing like 15 18 19 20 hours like driving like and basically what's their problem is they can't get a driver and that's what, what any hackney um company would tell you here in west cork and they can't get drivers because even if they could find somebody interested the driver mightn't be able to get the psv license and they can't drive that's without they- the psv license that's basically it because it's so difficult to get. Like, you know, I don't know why it has to be so, you know, like technical that you have to know all these answers of, of, of um, town lands and road numbers. Like in this day and age, you, these um, systems aren't needed. Like I wouldn't mind now, maybe back with it 10, 15, 20 years ago when, when maybe SatNav wasn't there available. Like every car nearly has SatNav. It's on every phone now, like uh, iPhone, like, but like, Basically, look, the system has to be made easier for the people to, to apply for any um, um, licenses. I know they've um, started a new pilot scheme in, in around the country. Only one um, town or village here in, in Cork County has taken up. It's a new Hackney scheme called the Local Hackney, where you get a grant support as well. Um, that's been held, that's in Newmarket at the moment. I don't know how successful. It yeah, is. I remember but, doing an interview at the start of that uh, with uh, one of the people organising it, and we were encouraging people of how they how they could apply. Actually, I, have you any idea how that's going, um, Danny? I, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't know how it's going. Yeah, I might get John Paul. Yeah, I might get John Paul to get back onto them and see if we can do an update on it because it was earlier this year, wasn't it? It's a one-year pilot project. Year. Started this year, it was, um, it was launched um, by Minister Ryan and basically, look, 
you know, it sounded good. Yeah, like there yeah. There was a, a grant aid of six thousand euros to start off, like for a new uh, taxi company or taxi service. But um, like because I know it is, it is, it is costly. Like before you put a car and insurance and everything on the road, the car like has to be um then tested to see is, is it okay. Like it is costly. So I, I would welcome something like that to happen like throughout the county. But at the moment, we are struggling. And like you know, I know we have the new um transport um, system at the moment from Kilgorehan to, to Alahis, which is working on a treat, I believe. I spoke to one of the drivers there last week and like he said, some of the, the buses can be can be can be very busy. He said some some of the trips can be quiet. But like I, I witnessed it myself I was in Doris last um Tuesday morning at half past ten and I saw four people jumping on the bus. And like, you know, it's it's a great system at the moment and I, I do hope people I, I, I would like say to people use it while it's there because if it's not used you know we lose it like you know mm. that's basically it okay but uh, but t- i'm thinking of tourists you know i mean particularly west uh, cork you know very much open for tourists and encouraging people to come visit uh, this beautiful uh, county but tourists are going to be really shocked to discover when you can come and stay sure. but if, you, if you're planning on going out late at night uh, you'll have to go within a walking distance of where you're staying because you ain't going to get a taxi yeah i got it i had a couple in from um, Essex on Saturday night and I was just chatting to them um, at the counter and they turned around. I just said to them, I said, where they were, they were staying, they were staying about a guest house outside the town. I said, you're, you're not driving. They said, no, we need a taxi later. And like, they thought like, it was just go up the street and get one, yeah. call one down. So look, I said, I'd better book it. I said, free because, you know, this is about 10 o'clock and I asked them what time would they like to get home? They said around half 11. So I did book it prior. It was like, you know, there's people there who are stuck and what you got to, who, who'd, who actually going back a number of years ago, um, the Canadian ambassador was here in, in Bantry for the Air India disaster. And lo and behold, he went for a couple of drinks at night. And um, at the end of the night, he couldn't get a taxi. He dropped me the following day. And all he, he met a good soul who was hopping into his car, who um, said he asked him would he drop him out to the bed and breakfast. He was actually staying in a bed and breakfast outside the town. And um, he, he got this win out. God, like, that's, that's embarrassing. That, that really is embarrassing. And now I was at your very kind invitation. I was at your charity dinner in Bantry a few weeks ago. And actually, I was chatting to somebody who said that they were leaving early. And I said, oh, why, why are you going away early? And they actually said, possible to get a taxi. Uh, so we're leaving early, you know, designated driver. And it, and, leaving, and it was just awful to think of somebody who would, would like to have stayed on, had a few drinks and enjoyed it, but had to make the very sensible decision to pack up early and uh, go home. Either. And even, I c- even even that night myself, I uh, prior to it, I, and I'm into announce that I had a couple of hackney companies asked to stay on until half one or one o'clock or half. As I says, you know, to take people home, and yeah. they finally did. And my God, it like with um that like you, you like you, like as I stated, like these hackney companies, they're on from early morning. And, like they can't be expected just, to work every hour. The God sends. No, okay, no, now no. a number of people I knew that I knew would get um, commentary in on this. Kevin is in Glamire. Says we do need uh, Uber every night of the week. I go out any night of the week. I go out in Cork City. You can't get home due to the lack of taxis. It results in people either going home early or for many people they're opting simply not to go out Kate is in Mallow uh, totally agree we need more taxis in Hackney's we used to have plenty of taxis in Mallow now it's impossible to get a taxi any time of the day or night Niall is in Clonakilty we never had a taxi service in West Cork there was always local Hackney uh, operators and if you got them you were lucky they're always extremely busy at the weekend Uber I feel would be a godsend uh, what we uh, what we have to do is has to be a designated driver 
who rotates that job. And Tim says, I work as a DJ and I work late on weekend nights. The amount of calls I get from people knowing that I will be out working, asking for a lift home as they simply get, can't get a taxi. I can be in Cork City, but I can also be in some of the county towns or in Killarney and there's never a night where Tim the DJ doesn't get a call to say, are you in town? Can you give me a lift at home? Okay, so it, it definitely is uh, is an issue. And, and Danny, have many people left the taxi uh, business or is this just down to an increase in population and more people looking for taxis? Or do we have there, less taxi, taxis in Hackney's? There have been um, people left the Hackney um, business um, here in Bantry, you know, and all, and different areas throughout the county. But um, basically, look, I suppose, really, they were working all hours and just couldn't get a driver. And, like, you know, it isn't sustainable for them. Like, you know, they, they, these people maybe had family lives as well to run, like, and, like, you know, it's 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 ridiculous, to be honest, the way the system is at the moment. OK. All right. Listen, we leave it there, Danny. Thank you for that. And uh, Thank thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Independent uh, Councillor in West Cork, uh, Danny Collins, on lack of uh, taxis. And uh, do we need Uber in this country? Somebody says, Patricia, let the people vote whether they want Uber uh, or, or not. Uh, this listener uh, says about the, the fact that you have to get guard the vetting. Who are the guardy to vet people? Wasn't there a young woman murdered in uh, England, murdered by a member of of the police force they are no more no more no less than anybody else well I think the vetting is to do with the criminal past I think that's why uh, uh, taxi drivers and hackney drivers and in other businesses you're asked uh, for the vetting but I have to say I've travelled in Uber in Ubers in other countries and I've always felt very safe uh, in them and, and I don't know if we can look to other countries uh, about the vetting and are they vetted uh, Uber drivers and how they work but they do seem to be very successful in other countries uh, countries where there is a lack of taxis and hackneys and we have to do something because you know there are areas literally dying off uh, because people can't go to socialise, can't go to do shopping or anything else that they need to do if they can't get a taxi or a hackney. Can anybody help this listener please? This morning Patricia, do you know please, can the plastic bags that smokeless coal now comes in, can those bags be recycled? Uh, If so, do I have to wash them out? I have quite a few of them at the moment, thanking you. Now the first thing I would do is, is check the plastic bag and see does it have the recycling sign on it you know it's that uh, it's a triangle formed by three circling arrows if it has that on it then it definitely can be uh, recycled what I did during news when I saw your text come in I went on to what's well, a great website if you're ever in doubt about what goes into what bin uh, mywaste.ie we've done interviews with them uh, before in the past they're kind of a mine of information when it comes to recycling and under the soft plastic items they say they must be clean dry and loose it goes through all of the different types of uh, plastic, including, for example, bubble wrap, because for years I didn't realise bubble wrap could be recycled. But it goes through all the different types of plastic that you'd find at home, like you know, the plastic that's in your the cereal bags, for example. All of that uh, can now be uh, recycled. But the very last item on it, on the list of soft plastics that can be recycled, is garden compost and bark bags. And I'm wondering, they're kind of tough plastic. That would be kind of similar, wouldn't it, to the bags that smokeless coal would come uh, in? Uh, so if if it is, but I, I would firstly try and check and see if that symbol uh, is on it. And then, yes, you are going to need to clean it out because they say that all soft plastic items that you put into your recycling bin should be clean, dry and uh, loose. But
but we'll we'll give a shout out to see does anybody else, somebody uh, more knowledgeable than me in the know might know the plastic bags that smokeless coal comes in. They're tough, durable bags, obviously, for what they're carrying. Can they be uh, recycled? 0818-103-103. We were talking about taxis in the last hour and lack thereof of tackness and hackness and I can't get over the number of calls and commentaries that we've in from uh, people all over the city and county people complaining that you know certainly at night time would there ever be on a busy night enough taxis to accommodate uh, everyone somebody makes the point that during Covid times taxi drivers that were off the road received um, uh, payouts there are no taxis in big towns like Mallow after 6pm no one could go out because they can't get home safely it is a problem in so so many areas. Uh, Jimmy in Bantry says, Patricia, can I commend Councillor Danny Collins for everything he said on your programme this morning? Read the taxi situation as a revenue spinner and for giving employment locally while tourism is so vital. A proper taxi service is so, so badly needed. It's needed at all times too for local people who don't have the luxury of a car. They don't have a bus outside their door or they don't have a Lewis service at their disposal. Again, I say credit where credit is due and fair play to Danny for raising this issue and that's from uh, Jimmy who is a Bantry resident 0818 103 103 uh, people listening to my chat with uh, Amanda Coughlin speaking about children in this country as we speak today in absolute agony because they're waiting on scoliosis spinal surgery and the longer they wait the more the curvature in their spine. And then I mean to even hear Amanda say in her own son's uh, case, waiting and waiting on a waiting list. And by the time he did get called to hear the damning news, sorry, you you have left it too long to get him to a specialist. And it wasn't that Amanda or her family got it wrong, but it was too late by the time he got called for the surgery and it was simply too late for the scoliosis surgery to go ahead. And you think of how devastating that must be for families because they're watching their children in pain. In some cases bones breaking out through the skin because of the way the curvature uh, is. Watching children in absolute agony. Ivy who we spoke about last week from the report out from the Ombudsman. That young girl wasn't able to breathe at times because the pressure was so much. Her, Her curve Her spine was curving so much and pressing on her lungs that she was having difficulty breathing. She wasn't able to go to school. She wasn't able to go out with her friends. I mean, it was just, it was a really tough report to read that one from the ombudsman. She did eventually get uh, the surgery, but she had to wait five years and five years of absolute misery and five years of her life that she will never ever get back. Think of all the lost education and all of her teenage years that she lost out on. You know, it really, really is uh, shocking and to hear that there are so many more children also waiting. Well, that's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, the health services in this country is an absolute joke. It feels at times like we're living in a third world uh, country. Where are all these professionals who are leaving our shores? Are they putting lives at risk? Well, they're not. The professionals are leaving. Uh, And I heard only lately a group of doctors in Australia who were asked, because there's a big campaign at the moment to try to get some of our 
health professionals back, doctors, consultants, nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech and language therapists. There's a big push by the HSE to say, come home, uh, we need you. And a lot of these experts say, particularly the ones that are in Australia, they were saying, look, well, yeah, they, they would love to come home and the package that they're being offered is quite good. But they say when they get home, they, they feel they will be very frustrated in their work because can you imagine scoliosis experts who know what needs to be done. They've identified the child. They know the procedure that needs to be done, but they can't get theatre space. Uh, they can't get ICU space available. So therefore, the operations can't go ahead and how frustrating that is. And I heard, you know, a number of these doctors speaking about the fact the ones that are working in Australia, that they can straight away pick up the phone and say, we have a patient. They need to have a CT scan. They need an MRI scan. It's done the same day, whereas they know in Ireland, They'll recommend something and they'll go on a waiting list and a waiting list and they just get very frustrated. They want to be able to do the work that they know that they can do and the specialised care that they know that they can give. So I don't know how many of our expert health experts will come back, but I don't think you can point the finger of blame at them and say they're the reason that the health service is the way it is. And then we've got the added problem for some of the bigger hospitals in Dublin, should consultants and nurses and whatever and any people on the multi-D team, should they decide to return home? Will they be able to afford to live in Dublin? Will they be able to afford to buy a house? Will they even be able to find a house to buy or to rent? So there's a lot of other parts to that jigsaw before we can encourage and entice our health professionals back home. 0818 103 103. And on the devastating road deaths that I started uh, the programme with uh, this morning and in particular the accident or the crash that happened on the M8 when we have a group of uh, teenagers in a stolen car uh, in order to evade on Garda Siakona decide to drive the wrong way down the motorway head-on collision with a, a young woman who from the Glanmire area a woman in her 30s who was on her way to uh, Dublin airport one young boy the front seat passenger we now know as Jimmy Foley a 16 year old he was uh, killed the other teenagers of all are all in CUH including the youngest a 14 year old uh, girl uh, Anne says Patricia the youths and the parents should face the full force of the law of those that were in that uh, car parents are responsible for the whereabouts of their children the country is a joke we are too sad on youth crime says um, I was taken aback when I heard the age of that young boy that died he was only 16 I did kind of think God what was he doing at 1am in the morning out in a stolen car and then when I heard that one of the backseat passengers was a 14 year old girl and you're thinking what was a 14 year old girl doing in the backseat of a stolen car how much of that goes back to parental responsibility and feels a lot of it the finger of blame should be pointed at the parents and the full force of the law brought down on them would others agree and dementia carers in certain areas of the country are not receiving any home care support because there is simply no staff available. To find out what needs to be done, I'm joined by Cormac Cahill. Cormac is Head of Advocacy at the Alzheimer's Society of uh, Ireland. Good morning to you, Cormac. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you're very welcome. Are you hearing from families who are assessed as needing home care support, but simply there are no staff available in their area? I mean, is, is, it, is that exactly what is happening? Yeah, I mean, just to just to track back a small bit, obviously home care, look at me, I mean, it comes up every year when, when, when we're doing consultations with families and people living with dementia. Uh, look, home care, that is, you know, dementia appropriate and provided by the, the dementia-trained staff, it, it's an absolute lifeline 
for people and it's hugely in demand. Uh, and we've seen the demand for home care, you know, rise, I suppose, especially since since um, COVID. So obviously there's been an increase, you know, an increased investment by, by the, the government in, in home care for people living with dementia. But as the demand soars, it obviously puts a lot of pressure on the on the on the uh, system, and obviously we would have you know done done some research ourselves um, uh, earlier this year, and it, it it uncovered actually that about two thirds of you know respondents who are in in receipt of home care have experienced a delay or a reduction in 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 their services over the last two years, and that's primarily due to the to the home care staff in crisis. Oh, goodness to hear of, of reductions. These are people that have hours in place and suddenly they're told they're going to get less hours next week. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So it, it, it's very, very difficult for people. And obviously home care, obviously when people come into the home, it, it's an absolute lifeline for for uh, people, you know. And and uh, obviously the, the training that, you know, you know, staff would have to un- undergo training. It's very much, you know, specific really to people Living with dementia, so for them to to have um, an impact, or for or for for um, hours, as it were, to be kind of impacted, it's it's you know it's it is very very difficult for them. You know, it's it's a highly skilled work. You know, and, mm. and it we you know it, 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 it it's obviously very very strongly uh, uh, valued by those who who kind of receive it. But it's 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 I suppose it's traditionally low paid. And 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 I suppose what we're what we're kind of asking for is the government to kind of you know kind of get a bit of a, a bit of handle on the the, the staffing issue because it's it's the funding has gone in we we have to obviously acknowledge that uh, you know investment has been made in in terms of home care hours that are dementia specific over the last number of years but in terms of delivering that it seems to be the the staffing issues that are one of the main the main kind of kind of uh, uh, issues that 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 are that are there so it was a part of our pre-budget submission this year we're asking the government to, to, to really take a look at that look at the, the home care staffing crisis really What is the main reason for not being able to employ the home care staff that you need? Well I think it, it, it's obviously a broader issue than, than just our, our, ourselves I suppose I suppose traditionally as I, as, as I, as I said it, it's traditionally uh, uh, lower paid Um. Uh, and I suppose the, the the quality of the care that home care home care workers would would offer, I suppose, is, is not re- reflected in the re- remuneration, perhaps that that they uh, that they may uh, uh, receive. Um, as, so I suppose one of the main areas is that you know there, there is a critical need to look at the, the the home care rates of pay, the benefits across Ireland, you know, um, and maybe introduce some some kind of meaningful you know career progression opportunities as well. Um, obviously, the, there's a loss of the non-profit, you know, the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, we're obviously non-profit, we're a charity, we're a uh, Section 39 organisation. So there is um, a consistent loss of staff from the non-profit sector to the HSC, for example, because obviously better better terms and conditions and, and, uh, and things like that. So that's obviously a big obstacle in, in terms of the recruitment and retention of staff from the non-profit section is that people can go to the HSC, as it were, and get more, you know, get better, better terms and conditions and better pay. And it's it's understandable why staff will go from a Section 39, isn't it? And that's right across the board on all staff uh, who are employed by Section 39. Oh, it's all, it's all staff. You're absolutely right. It's not just the home care staff, it's admin staff. It's all the, it's all the staff. So, like, obviously the Alzheimer's Society is a team. Obviously we provide, 
know, the majority of the mentor-specific services right right across Ireland, but we, we do receive less favourable terms and conditions than other public sector workers engaged in the same work, in comparable work, and this has obviously led to huge kind of, you know, recruitment and retention issues. And there is now a concern about whether, you know, whether the, the, the sustainability of services, you know, because obviously that if, 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 if there was any issue over just the sustainability of services, because we can't recruit staff, retain staff, um, that could have a, an impact on people living with dementia. And look, we're, we're not the only, only organisation talking about this in terms of the Section 39 workers. You know, the wheel, for example, this year have been talking about pay parity. The Disability Federation of Ireland have been talking about it for their for their kind of organisations as well. So it's a, it's a big, big issue. And I know that the government are are kind of, you know, it's under consideration with, 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 with the government, but it is really important We're hearing this from our staff a, a lot. So that's why it's, 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 the, the, the issue around pay parity for, for dementia workers formed a crucial part, a cornerstone of our pre-budget submission that we presented to the government just last okay. week. And, and families in the main, Cormac, want to keep their loved one uh, living with dementia. Yeah. They want to keep them at home for yeah. as long as they can. But in order to do that type of care and loving of, you know, their loved ones, they need a, a bit of support. And that's where the home care comes in. Absolutely. That's where the, the home care comes in. Obviously, you know, uh, daycare centres. We have another service as well, which was, um, which was, which was developed during um, COVID called Daycare at Home. So these are all the key kind of, key kind of community supports that are going to help people to live you know, as as well as they can, and for as long as they can, in their own in in their own uh, community. You know, so we again a part of our pre-budget submission this year, we're looking for two point three million to invest in dementia-specific day services. That that would include daycare at home, but also weekend activity clubs because dementia doesn't end on a Friday. So it's really important that people with dementia and their families as well would would have access to some sorts of services. On a on a on a Saturday, you know, because mm. so like daycare at home, for example, would would be a vital service to provide you know real in, interaction, social support for people living with dementia as, as well. Perhaps they, they they may not be in a position to go to a daycare centre, or they may not want to. So it's really important that they have those social supports. But these are all pillars that will help people. As, as you rightly said, stay in the community yeah. where, 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 they where want the to main be. people want to stay. Yeah, they want to be and their families uh, want them to be. I mean, over the years on this programme, Cormac, I have spoken with and, and chatted with, you know, so many carers very close uh, to burnout who all make the point that if their loved one ends up in residential care, it'll cost the HSE a lot more money than it would to keep them at home. Absolutely, absolutely. So it, 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 it makes financial sense, sense as, as well for the government to, to, to kind of listen to these um, uh, uh, asks in our pre-budget submission. You're absolutely right. If people have those supports and those services that are, are in the community, it will really help people living with dementia and support the, the family carers as well, let's not forget, to keep their loved ones in the community and at home. And, and as it were, you know, we want to keep people in the community for as long as possible so they can live as well as possible, you know, for as long as possible, really. So I, 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 I totally agree with you. Those community supports, like the ones that I've outlined there, daycare, daycare at home, home care, and these new weekend activity clubs now because dementia doesn't end on a Friday. This will help support people 
in their own community because I think the 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 dementia obviously affects the person. There's, there's an estimated sixty four thousand people living with dementia in Ireland today, but it affects so many more people than the individuals, the family, the family carer, the the, the siblings, the, the wider community as well. And we've always found through talking to people is that if the community have an awareness about dementia and welcome the person and and, and, and make those as well, adaptations uh, uh, to the community, it can really help them. So um, really important that the, the community are aware of um, dementia as a condition, but also they put those specific community services uh, uh Okay, you mentioned the the, the daycare uh, services, and you you have a number of daycare centres here in uh, Cork. Um, yes. Is staffing an issue with the centres? Beg your pardon, sorry, just that is, last question. Is staffing an issue? Securing staff to run the daycare centres is that an no, issue? No, we've excellent. We Good. we have excellent staff, and 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 you're absolutely right. We have a lot of services. I mean, the the main daycare centre in Cork would be the best for day, daycare centre, and we've we've. We've excellent staff. I visited the centre earlier this year, and welcomes in people li- living with dementia, you know, on a daily basis. And 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 as well as that, we've other daycare centres in, in in the Cork area. We've a number of dementia advisors as well, as well as home care support. You know, so we've we've brilliant, um, brilliant, uh, brilliant staff, brilliant services right at, right at, right across Cork. I mean, if anybody, even if any of your listeners are listening in today. And I think of what, what services are there in Cork. If you just look up alzheimer.ie, there's a service finder there and you can look up all the, the, the different daycare centres that we have in, in, in the Cork area from our Mitchellstown Daycare Centre, you know, we've Middleton, Connor Daycare, Skibbereen, McCroom. So it's kind of right, right across Cork, the main one. The main one at one of it's our biggest centres, a kind of flagship centre, is the best, but yeah. And, and you Cork. offer you offer incredible support uh, to to people uh, living with Alzheimer's. You know, be they the person themselves are indeed their families who need the support uh, as well. I was listening on national radio over the weekend, and and there was a lady uh, talking about being di- being diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and how hard she found it to make the call yeah. and it was something I hadn't thought about it was almost by making the call to the Alzheimer's Society she was admitting you know I have mm. it and, and I need help and yet she said it was the greatest thing that she did it made you know such a change and g- it gave her such support Yeah that's right that's um, Kathleen Kathleen Farrell from our Irish Mental Working Group I, I, I heard her as well and, and she's a fantastic advocate and you're absolutely right it took her a long time as it were and she said this to pluck up the courage to ring our helpline to get in touch with our staff and, and I think once she reached out she found the importance of sharing her story getting support um, unfortunately there's still a huge stigma around dementia in Ireland so people may be experiencing those early signs those symptoms they may even have a uh, dementia diagnosis but they may put off getting support, getting the services. Um, and, and, and I suppose a lot of that is still down to the stigma around dementia. Well, what I would say to people is that, um, you know, do a Kathleen did, you know, pick up, ring our helpline at 1800 341 341 or look up alzheimer.ie. But if you are experiencing early signs, those early symptoms of dementia over a period of time, please do get in touch with your GP or get in touch with the Alzheimer's Society. Because there are, as, as you listed off there, even in, in, in the wider Cork area, there are a number of support and services that are there for people to, 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 to help them. So, so do, a, do what Kathleen did. 
uh, and, and do just pick up pluck up that courage to get in touch with us and, and, and for her it proved absolutely life changing and you've another fantastic advocate here in Cork uh, Kevin Quaid uh, from Cantor right. who's living with uh, Louis Body Dementia he's been on our programme a, a number of times and he's a fantastic advocate and he's a great advocate of how you can live well with dementia and, and yeah. I think that's important to get across. 1-800-341-341. That's the helpline number. Cormac, listen, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. And, uh, and and we hope that the government are listening and that you get everything that you ask for in your pre-budget submission. Good luck with it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Cormac Cahill, Head of Advocacy at the Alzheimer Society of uh, Ireland. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking calls. Text WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Time now for another visit with a story lady. Hello, boys and girls. Uh, no, it's time for Cork's greatest hits. Those songs you know and love. It's the soundtrack of your afternoons. Nick Richards, weekdays from 1. C103. Hello, I'm Miriam Gunn and I'm a dairy farmer from Strokestown, County Roscommon. As a farmer, it's my job to care about the environment. Managing my hedgerows and field edges encourages biodiversity and helps protect water quality for everyone. Using less fertiliser and regular soil testing are other steps we are taking to minimise our impact on Irish rivers, lakes and waterways. It can take years for improvements to show, but the things we're doing are making a difference. I'm speaking on behalf of the National Dairy Council. Everyone's dairy. At Johnson & Parrot Opal, Douglas, we're half-full type of people, which is how we come up with the Opal 50-50 finance offer. Choose from the Opal Crossland, Corsa or Mocha. Select your flexible payment option. Pair it with three years free servicing and meet your new other half. Discover more about Opal's 50-50 offer at the Opal Open Road event. See jpopal.ie for details. Finance is provided by way of a consumer hire purchase agreement by Bank of Ireland Finance. Lending criteria and conditions apply over 18 only. Ownership remains with Bank of Ireland until the final payment is made. Bank of Ireland trading as of Bank of Ireland Finance is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Giveblood.ie know we can count on you, our community of blood donors, to give blood and to choose to be there for others in their hour of need. Blood donors from Kenturk and Newmarket should attend the clinic in Kolosta Trassa in Kenturk on Monday 3rd of July. Making an appointment is recommended, so call 1-800-731-137 to book your time. New donors are welcome. Visit giveblood.ie to check eligibility and clinic details, because we count on you. With your comment, 0818 103 103. Can you talk to me? Court today on C103. And it's time for our monthly slot with the Citizens Information Service. And today we're looking at medical cards and other HSC schemes. Anna Donovan is Development Manager with the South Munster Citizens Information Service based in Bantry. And Anne joins me. Good morning to you, Anne. Morning, Patricia. And uh, how are you doing? And how is every how is everybody getting on at the Citizens Information Centre? Ah, uh, good, uh, good, Patricia. Again, as as we say all the time, we 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 continue to be busy. Um, and I suppose the good thing, more and more, like our our offices are open for drop-ins and appointments, as well as being contactable by phone for those who can't come into the office. 
and uh, I suppose good news for uh, any listeners in the McCroom area because our McCroom office has now reopened for two days a week on Mondays and Tuesdays. Oh, fantastic. Is, uh, fantastic. fantastic. That, yeah. that is yeah. great. Now, today we're discussing medical cards and other HSE uh, schemes to assist with health cost. Can you start by giving me an overview of what it covers and who can apply for a medical card? Okay, so um, I suppose in a summary, really, if you have a medical card issued by the HSE, you can get certain health services free of charge. And now normally your dependent spouse, a partner and your children are also covered uh, for the same range of health services. So anybody who is ordinary resident in Ireland can apply for a medical card. So that basically that means that if you're living in Ireland and you intend to live here for at least one year, you're, you, you're eligible to apply. Now, to qualify for the medical card, your weekly income must be below a certain amount for your family size because it is means-tested. The only exception to that really is that people who are covered by EU regulations um, may have an entitlement that doesn't go through the means test, but everybody else is means tested. So what income is assessed when it comes to the means test? Okay, so they look at cash income. So uh, any sort of employment or um, social welfare payments, whatever, uh, savings, investments and property, except for your own home. That's never taken into, your own home is never assessed. But all the other things, so investments, any property, cash income, savings, they're taken into account. Um, Now, there are weekly income limits depending on your household size. And there are also allowable expenses, like which take into account things like if somebody has childcare costs, rent, mortgage payments, um, all of those will increase your income limits. Um, so, you know, are taken into consideration to see if you're eligible. Income from savings, investments, or property of 36000 for a single person or 72000 for a couple are disregarded. And so I suppose it. The means test can be daunting for people, so we would just say speak to your local citizens information centre to get more information on how the means test applies to your personal circumstances because everybody's going to be different because yeah. everybody's going to have different childcare costs, everybody will have different rent, mortgage payments, you know, so it's, so the, the main thing would be for someone to come and talk to us and we would do the means test with them. Now, if someone's only income is from a social welfare allowance or benefit or, or HSC allowance, they, they should be granted a medical card even though their payment may be over the income guidelines for their age and situation. So again, that's why I would always encourage people to talk to us, you know. Okay. And how are young people like those 16 to 25, and that that would include students, how are they assessed? Okay, so if someone's aged between 16 and 25 and they're dependent on a parent or guardian, but generally maybe they're a full-time student, um, you're eligible for a medical card if your parent or guardian has a medical card. Now, that doesn't apply if um, if the parent's income is above the means test and they have a discretionary medical card, which we'll talk about later. But if someone's already on their family's uh, card, they'll be sent their own card when they turn 16. Um, now, if the if the young person lives with their parent or guardian and they have an income over the medical income limit for a single person living with family, they're going to be considered financially independent. And then in that situation, the usual means test would apply. And if again, if the person if the person is aged between sixteen and twenty five, and they're not living with uh, or, or they're not dependent on their their parent, then they're considered as financially independent regardless of their income and their application. Then is assessed under the normal means test. Okay, because yeah, somebody up to twenty five could be out working, for example. Yeah, and they could, could be could yeah, their so own job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so is is it easier for somebody over seventy to now qualify for a medical card? 
Yeah, so there is a more generous means test if, if you're aged over 70. So if someone's over 70 and um, they'll qualify for the full medical card if their gross income is not more than €550 Euros a week if they're single or not more than uh, €1,050 Euro a week for a couple. And I suppose an important thing just to remember is that the assessment of a couple for the medical card purposes is based on the age of the older person. So... So if, if there's a couple and one of them is aged over 70 and the other could be 60 for argument's sake, they'll both qualify for a medical card um, if their combined gross income is one thousand and is under the 1,050 right, euros good a week. Uh, and, but it's important, it's the person who's over 70 needs to apply. Okay, okay. And of course, that all came in. We remember the grey vote when they tried to That's take right. the medical card away from over 70. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now yeah. you mentioned earlier discretionary medical card. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, now this is important. So if your income is above the limit um, and someone may still be able to get a medical card depending on their circumstances, particularly if their circumstances would result in financial hardship without one. So as I said, that's called a discretionary medical card. Now the application process for the discretionary medical card, it's the same as the means-tested medical card. So you fill out the same form but one should also include a medical report and information about uh, your family's medical expenses in the application. Now, there is a standard medical report template form which your uh, GP can fill in, and you can download that off the HSE website. And I suppose the thing about the discretionary medical card, they're issued for a specific time frame, and that time frame will depend on your circumstances. But again, it, you know, so it, it's important that people are aware of that, that if they think their income will be above it, but they, there are particular financial hardships in the family they should apply under those Yeah, and, and people who get a cancer diagnosis, many of those are entitled to a discretionary medical card. Depends, yeah. And there, yeah. Like, in certain circumstances, there can be. And again, there's also, um, there's also what's called the emergency medical card. Uh, and like, there are some emergency situations where you can get help outside of the normal medical card application process. And that, that you can get an emergency medical card in a situation where somebody has a terminal illness and they've been told that they have 24 months or less to live or if they're receiving end-of-life treatment or they need urgent ongoing care and urgently need a medical card. So oh, in those circumstances, yeah. they, can, they can be assessed for an emergency medical card. Yeah, and I know you're a great advocate to people to apply, you know. If, Absolutely, you know, we would always say yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, apply. Okay, so that's the medical card. Now, there is another card that got introduced a, a number of years ago, and this is the GP visit only card. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so if someone's, uh, if you're not eligible for a medical card, you may be eligible for a GP visit card. Now, that allows you to visit a participating family doctor uh, for free. Um, now, however, in, with the GP visit card, prescribed drugs are not free. And um, now the GP visit card does cover visits to GP out of service services out of our services, so if someone had to use Southdoc or whatever, it will cover them. And blood tests to diagnose or monitor a condition are covered. So, it, But it has more limited cover the GP visit card. Okay, and who can get a GP visit card? So I suppose all children under the age of six can get a GP visit card. And if someone's in receipt of carer's benefit or carer's allowance at the full or half rate, you're eligible for a, a GP visit card also. Um, it's available to everyone aged over 70 without any income tests. And if you're aged under 70, it, it is means tested. That is, your income is assessed by the HSE as part of the application process. 
So again, I would encourage people to contact their local citizens' information centre for more detailed information about the means test. Um, and again, in order to qualify for a GP visa card, you must meet the eligibility rules and you must be ordinary resident in Ireland. So again, that, that is, you must have been or intend to be living in Ireland for at least one year. Okay, so where do you get the forms? How do you apply for a medical card to our GP visit card? Okay, so there is the one application form for the for the medical card and GP visit card. So, and I think generally when they are assessing, they look to see if someone has, you know, is entitled to the full medical card. If not, then they'll see if they're eligible for a GP visit card. So you can apply online for the medical card. On there's the um, mymedicalcard.ie, the HSE website and that's the quickest way of getting the card now alternatively you can download a medical um, card application form from the the HSE website or you can pop into your local citizens information center and we have the forms here and we can assist people to complete them and then what happens you return the form to the the, it's a a central address for them all it's in Dublin it's a client registration unit so you then you return the form with, along with any documentation or the documents they require. Um, if you're doing it online, you can upload photos, scans or photocopies of the original documents um, specified in the form. So it's, you know, uh, and then again, obviously, when you when you have put in your application, you can track the progress online. Uh, of your on, to online. See, to see yeah. how it's going. Okay. Yeah. But as I said, if anyone needs help or needs to come in, they can get a form from us or we can help them fill it out if they need it. Now, prescription costs can be expensive for some people. Are there any schemes uh, to help people there? So, um, yeah, there are a few schemes. So if you have a medical condition that's covered by uh, a scheme called the Long-Term Illness Scheme, you can get free drugs, medicines and medical and surgical appliances for the treatment of that condition. So that scheme does not depend on your income or other circumstances. um, And you could also be eligible for a medical card or GP visit card, depending on your circumstances. Now, with the long-term illness scheme, there is a specific number of medical conditions covered by the scheme, and there are a number, about 16 named conditions. I suppose some of the more common ones that um, would be things like diabetes, epilepsy, Parkinsonism, all of those are covered, along with a number of other um, conditions. And uh, you can get the full list of the conditions from the HSC office or from your local CIC. But if you have one of those conditions and you get the long-term illness schemes, it means any drugs or anything relating to that condition, there's no charge. Now, um, there's also a scheme called the drug payment scheme, and that's for people who don't have a medical card. Uh, now, under that, you and your family, you only have to pay a maximum of €80 Euro each month for approved uh, drugs and medicines and, and certain appliances. Again, after you register for the scheme, what happens, they'll send you out a plastic swipe card for each person named on, this, on the form. And then you should show this card whenever you collect your medication from the pharmacy. Now, it would be important that you use the same pharmacy in a month to avoid paying more than the maximum 80 euros. Yeah. Do you have to register with a particular pharmacy for that? No, you don't have to register with a pharmacy. And if a situation arises, say, where you end up, for practical reasons, using two or more pharmacies in a month, now, in that situation, you may end up spending over the maximum threshold of 80 euros. But if that happens, you can then apply for a refund of the amount you spend above the okay. 80 euros. Okay. So again, if someone contacts us, we'd print off the refund claim form for you. And obviously, if someone has a receipt, that'll, that'll help. Yeah. And then if you, God forbid, you end up needing to go to a hospital, what, what, what's the hospital charges? This is now for people without a medical card. 
Well, actually, I suppose some of the good news is that the public inpatient and day service fees, they were abolished on the 17th of April this year. So that was kind of a positive development. So that basically means that the daily charge for staying in hospital no longer applies. Now, however, if you do, if you attend an emergency department without being referred there by a GP, there is a charge of €100. Now, there is no charge if you're referred by your GP. Therefore, it's important that you bring your referral letter with you. Um, and there is a charge to attend an injury unit um, that's €75. Euro. Uh, so, again, as with the emergency department, you don't have to pay the charge if you have a medical card or if you have a referral letter from a GP. Over the summer, now, many people will be travelling uh, abroad. Is there any cover uh, that if you fall ill while away? OK, well, like I suppose a really important time to highlight the European Health Insurance Card, which is... That allows you to access uh, public health care in another EU state for free or at a reduced rate. Now, um, you can use it when you're applying, when you're traveling abroad, so to another EU country. And each family member needs their own card. This is the old E111s that we used to always talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I suppose, look, it's... it's, uh, it's really important. Anybody who's travelling to another EU country, it would be really important to make sure they had that with them. I've, I have to say, I used it. We were travelling with uh, Marsha, my special needs daughter, when we were in Spain, and uh, we had to use it. And it, the service was fantastic. I mean, it was really yeah. fantastic. All free, just showed the card, uh, and that was it. And down to we yeah. even got the meds that, that, that she needed. Yeah, it was fantastic. So, how does somebody get one of those cards? Yeah, so as you said, Patricia, it's free, so that's the important thing. And you you apply to your local HSE, local health office, or again, you can complete um, an application form which you which you can submit by post. So if you already have a card and you want to renew it, you can do it online. Uh, and you can also apply online if you have a medical card or a drug payment scheme card. Uh, otherwise, you can fill out a paper form. So if you contact your local CSC, we'll provide you with a form. And then once you get the card, it lasts for four years. OK. And if somebody travels and they didn't get the card before they go, what happens? OK. So if you don't have um, have it already, you can get a temporary replacement certificate. So this cert gives you the same entitlement as the card, but for a shorter period. So you can apply online for that or in person or by post to your local health office. Um, now you can only get receive a temporary replacement cert for yourself so again if you check with your local CIC for further information Okay as always on our monthly uh, slot and huge amount of information uh, there what should people uh, do if they want more information on anything we've spoken about? Again I suppose look this has been a whistle stop tour through <laughs> it so I would really encourage people if they'd like more information about any of the issues I've covered basically they can call into their local citizens information centre or 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 ring us and then what we'll do is we'll look at your discuss your current circumstances with you and make you aware how the various schemes apply to your personal circumstances and i suppose look just to stress again patricia our service is free and confidential it's there for the community and and you know we just encourage people to 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 use it so they can uh, ring us here in bantry on 081807 8390 or the Mallow office on 0818078000. So, and look, if you go onto our website, citizensinformation.ie, and it has, in, it has information about all the, diff- the opening hours of different centres as well. It, it so, is a mine of information yeah. and always up to date, I have to say that. Listen, Anne, a pleasure as always. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining us today.
Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Anne O'Donovan, Development Manager with the South Munster Citizens Information Service that covers the West Cork area and she's based in Bantry. Every day this week we are teaming up with the wonderful Maldron Hotel and they've kindly given us a daily prize of an overnight stay for two people in the Maldron Hotel. Now the Maldron Hotel is located right in the heart of Cork City Centre so it makes it a perfect place for a break in the Rebel County. So if you're thinking about a little bit of a staycation, here's a great night away for you. Now it is an overnight stay for two people. It does include bed and breakfast. So every day this week I will give you one half of a duo and you have to identify the other half as we've done on previous competitions. We're running it by text WhatsApp 086 103103. People seem to prefer that than the phones. They get frustrated if we do telephone competitions and they can never get through. So at least when we're leaving the text on the WhatsApps open for 10 minutes and then we'll randomly uh, select a winner every one gets an equal chance. So text our WhatsApp 0862103103 and our duo today, Sonny and what makes up the second half of that duo? Sonny and uh, so give me the answer along with your name and address please 0862103103 and you could be winning an overnight stay for you and the partner of your choice at the Maldron Hotel in the heart of Cork City Centre. Sonny and who? Uh, who is the second half of that famous uh, duo? 0818103103. We were talking about dementia care and kind of the whole thing with home care and the problems we're having in this country. There's just not enough people to do the work that is required. And I, I thought it was, you know, he. I think he said it straight out, Cormac Cahill of the Alzheimer Society. It's, it's an area of care that we have underfunded and I think we've not paid people enough for the fantastic work that they do. I mean, the the, the home helps. I mean, I, I know their their name has since changed, but people still refer to them as uh, home helps. Many people will say to you that they their loved one could not remain at home if it wasn't for the home care workers that come in religiously day in, day out. And we have so many people who are waiting on home care packages. Well, they've been granted home care packages, but they, the HSE or the private organisations, whoever's doing it, just can't get the workers and today it just happened to be the Alzheimer Society of Ireland are highlighting it because they've put it in as part of their pre-budget submission because they can see how families are struggling because they can't get the help and the care that they need. Joe in Dunmanway says, Patricia, I worked as a home help in the UK. I can describe it honestly as the best job ever. I worked seven days a week and I was the person who did the breakfast shift. So I was in bright and early every morning into the people that I was looking after, started work at seven AM personal care and making breakfast for them. Joe and Dunmanway says she loved every single second uh, of it. And people who work, yeah, people who work are very dedicated and they're very uh, loyal and they'll say the very same thing, uh, Joe, but when they feel that they're not being rewarded uh, properly. And for some people, you know, they will make more money by going out and just completely changing careers, maybe going into retail, going into hospitality, because they feel that they can make uh, better money. And it's just it's the terms and conditions. We need to look at it. We've been talking about it for years. For years, we've been talking about it. And we just don't seem to sort it out. Something needs to be done. And now, sooner rather than later, particularly with an ageing population, we'll have more and more people needing home care packages and needing workers. We need to find a way of getting people to go into that as a career and then look after them when they are in their 0818 103 103. Some of your 
comments coming in to us. Pat was chatting with uh, John Paul in the last hour. Sadly, Pat's wife passed away last year and sympathies to you, Pat, on, on the loss of, of your lovely uh, wife. Uh, he has a mortgage protection policy with an insurance company and his mortgage is with a bank that is paid off. When he contacted the mortgage protection company, they asked him to photocopy all of the documentation, i.e. the deeds of the house, the debt certificate, etc., which he did and he sent it back and he hasn't heard anything since. When he contacted the insurance company, they said they're waiting for the bank to clear this and they keep, they keep saying this and this is months after the event as Pat said his wife passed away uh, last year and Pat is wondering if others have gone through a similar situation though he didn't I didn't want to join us on air, which is fair enough. It's a very personal thing that's going on uh, in Pat's life. I mean, he's already coping with the loss of his wife and now battling with a mortgage protection policy. And I'm assuming he just wants to stop paying it because the mortgage now has been paid off because sadly the passing of uh, Pat's wife, it just seems absolutely uh, crazy. Anybody else battled with a mortgage protection policy company battled with the insurance uh, company to get it sorted out. If anybody can point Pat in the right direction or where we can send him for the help that he needs to get this sorted out, please let us know. 0818 103 103. We mentioned that horrific car accident that happened over the weekend and that 16-year-old who who sadly has died and his family we very much think think of but it was a car full of teenagers and it was a stolen uh, car and I think that's what some people are, are thinking about today and are very much thinking about the woman in her 30s who was uh, travelling off to the airport God help her and now she has got life changing according to some papers life uh, life changing injuries and she's battling in uh, CUH somebody says Patricia intervention by the we need intervention but intervention by the government when they removed corporal punishment for parents. I feel this has caused some children to run riot. Spare the rod and spoil the child. There are no consequences today to unruly behaviour and the youngsters today are, are very aware of this. They'll know they'll just be reprimanded by the authorities, smack on the back of the wrist and sent a, then sent off to continue causing disruption in the uh, community. Well, that's more to do, I suppose, with the judicial system when it comes to young people, when young people get involved in crime. And I know the whole idea is to try and, you know, deter them away from criminal activity. But I don't I don't know if it always works uh, or not. I really don't. 0818103103. Couple of people have been on about medical cards because we discussed medical cards in the last hour on our monthly citizens information slot and some information that I've just done a Google search on and went on to citizen information themselves. Mine of information they really are. For example, Mary was on to say, Patricia, how much can a couple have in savings on an old age pension in order to qualify for a medical card? Uh, so I've checked and it's actually the amount of savings for somebody under 70 and over 70 is exactly the same. Now the means test obviously is slightly different for people under 70 and people over 70 but the amounts that you can have in savings and investments are the same across all of the age groups. So savings and similar investments 36,000 if you're a single person and if you're a couple that's what Mary's asking for you can have 72,000 euro in savings and that's disregarded when you go to apply 
and then you must meet all the other criteria of the for the means testing. But I've checked and it's the same for because obviously an old age pensioner can be 66. So they, they will be under 70 and then the rules change for over 70s. But the saving criteria say, stays the same. 36 for a single person and 72 if you are a couple. And then Dan was on, said, Patricia, on the topic of medical cards. What about the new increased income limits for the GP only visit cards? It was announced in last year's budget. Do you know if that's come into play yet? And apologies if you've covered this already. Thanking you, says Dan. No, we didn't. We did cover uh, GP cards, but we didn't cover the new rules that came in in last year's budget. And so much came in in last year's budget. I had to actually remind myself. And Dan is right. It was announced in budget it would have been last October, but it's budget for 2023. So it's the budget for this year. It was announced that the income limit for the GP visit card would be increased and it would include people on and below the median income in 2023. It was also announced, of course, that the GP visit cards for children aged under six would be extended to children aged six and seven. But when I've just checked, these all of these changes require legislation and that legislation hasn't gone through uh, yet. Now, I'll do my best to see if I can find out if they're going to put the legislation through before the summer recess because they're due to go into recess in the next couple of weeks. I think I read somewhere, is it the 13th of July? They go into a summer recess. So I don't know if, because if it doesn't go in before the summer recess, it's going to be September before they are back. But those changes were announced for Budget 2023. We're halfway through Budget 2023. And as Dan R has pointed out, what was announced, the new income limits still isn't in place because, as I say, they need uh, uh, legislative legislation to change. 0818-103-103 and our 10 minutes are up on our competition for the Maldron Hotel where we're giving away an overnight stay every day this week for uh, two people including bed and breakfast and our winner for today is Francis O'Sullivan in Bantry. Pack your bags Francis. You and a partner of your choice will be heading to an overnight stay to the Maldron Hotel. It's in the heart of Cork City Centre and it it is a perfect place for a break in the Rebel County. And our our duo, our famous couple today was Sonny and Sure, of course, Sonny and Sure, an American pop and entertainment duo in the 60s and uh, 70s. And uh, they both had huge, huge uh, careers. And Sure, Sure is still going strong. So, congratulations, Francis O'Sullivan in Bantry, our winner today. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. And we'll have another overnight stay for two people, including bed and breakfast at the Maldron Hotel. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Now Nazareth House in uh, Mallow, their weekly lotto draw, they have a new jackpot of €10,000 The draw takes place on Thursdays at 3 o'clock in Nazareth House and tickets start from as little as €2 Tickets are available from reception and locally at Kelly's Shop LJ's in Drumahan and uh, locally in Glantham. Yearly tickets can be purchased on their website nazarethcare.com and if you're interested in becoming an agent they're asking you to please ring 022 21561 and they'd like to thank everyone for their continued support for Nazareth House. Marymount pop-up shop is open from 10am to 8pm every day this week. It's in Kilbritton Parish Hall. All proceeds are going to uh, Marymount. 
The Donna Rail Court Collection by Kira Buckley will be on exhibition in the drawing room at Donna Rail Court from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. daily up to this Friday. And remember, you can veil a free entry to Donna Rail Court along with another a number of other OPW sites on the first Wednesday of every month, and that includes this Wednesday. Bottevent Bingo in Bottevent GAA tonight at 8. They've got a jackpot of €5,500 and everyone is welcome. And if you need help with reading, writing, spelling and numeracy or you know of somebody that needs help, you can contact Adult Learning Centre for more information. They're available on the top floor of the Parish Centre in Mallow and their office number is 022 42642. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, the RTE saga continues. The government is set to give the green light uh, to an auditor to examine RTE's finance, just as the Public Accounts Committee warned its plans to continue inviting witnesses to testify before the panel. And in today's Irish Sun newspaper. There's a worrying story for us here in Cork that RTE bosses are secretly planning to sell the Cork offices. Now, the Cork offices where the Today Show is broadcast uh, every day um, and the, the story in The Sun by John Kernans is it's been done to help cut costs. Now, local Senator Tim Lombard has contacted us and he's dismayed to read this uh, report this morning. Good afternoon to you, Tim. Good morning. I'm oh, sorry. Good, good afternoon. Yeah, um, it's a bizarre story, a bizarre twist in the story in, in many ways. Look, we've had the RT debacle over the last two weeks and look, we've seen major issues after being discussed. But now to have the issue about trying to dispose of the offices in Cork so they can rent another office rather than doing up the premises they have, it's absolutely unbelievable. I just can't believe they're proposing to do it. Now, staff seemingly got wind of it when um, they were told at a meeting that they'd be moving to new rented studios at one Albert Key. And I was surprised to hear there's about 60, 60 to 7 people working there uh, between news, radio and obviously the production of the Today Show. So there is a lot of people working there. Now, RT have issued a statement this morning and they're saying, contrary to speculation, that they remain fully committed to its operations in Cork. The suitability of the current building for the full range of RT's operations in Cork is being assessed. So they're not denying selling it. No. And look, I was actually talking to one auctioneer in particular in Cork who was basically invited to show RT other premises around Cork City. Ah. And I think that's when I first got wind of this was very late last night. And like when you have a scenario where they're actively looking at other premises, not just one Albert Key, but other premises around the place, you're generally concerned that this is a done deal within the RT management structure itself, that they've made a decision that they're going to move to another more salubrious setting rather than investing in the property they have. But it's basic bad management that they're proposing to actually sell one property, to actually go renting another property. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make a lot of commercial sense, does it? If you own yeah, a property, absolutely. why would you sell to then go on and rent? Because even to even and it's not just like renting an office. I mean, I'm assuming a whole new studio would have to get a fit out. Completely, like they'd literally be turning some kind of you know brownfield site into a studio. Everything that's involved, major 
retrofitting of that major changing the actual purpose of it because i doubt if there's too many offices built in cork that are going to be built as a studio so like this is a really bizarre turn of events in particular where we are with the rt debate and where we are with sending in alters potentially special powers been invoked by ministers we're on about you know a continuation of the committees that are happening over the last two weeks potential other hearings and now to have this bombshell come on to cork is just bizarre to say the very least and like there has been unfortunately reservation or we've been seeing that you know the management have made very very poor decisions in the last few weeks and months or probably longer in so many ways like this is a bizarre one like they're literally selling a property to rent another property and the knock-on implication is that they'll end up with no actual fixed assets. There's no business in the country would propose this. There's no logic behind this. And what's really going to happen here is that in a few years' time, the money might run out, and then they might be talking about closing or downsizing the office again. And that's my real worry. Like yeah, would it? Happen. I mean, you know, I know in the statement they're saying that the, you know, they're fully committed uh, to the... Um, uh, fully committed to the operation in Cork. But w- would would the real worry here be that they, they would scale back the operation so much that it would be little or nothing? And then Absolutely eventually it w- it's easy then to close something that really isn't doing a lot of output. Like while we have an anchor, while we have this building, while we have a premise that they haven't disposed of, we also have a base for RT in Cork City. And I think that's really important. But when you move to an actual rented um, um, house or rented property. The knock-on implication is that it can be downsized, it can be moved, and eventually it can be closed and moved on. And as you rightly said earlier on, there's 50 to 60 people working in this place. It's a significant driver in the economy, but RT as the national broadcaster has to have a regional remit. And that's my real worry, that they might see they're under financial pressure or structural change happening up in actual Dublin regarding RT, knock-on implication here is that the first thing they'll chop is a building that's worth a few pounds down in Cork, which will be a huge implication for their regional actual focus. And that's something we really have to watch out for. Yeah, and I'm also reading in the papers, um, I've I've never been into the building, not, can I say, not that I haven't been invited, I have, I've just never been there. But um, it's fallen into disrepair in recent years. I mean, according to the paper today, it leaks in the roof. And it badly needs painting on the outside. Uh, yeah, cool. uh, does I've it, been in the building. What's it like? Several times. I've been there several times. Look, I've is done it run down? There, I've done not particularly. I thought it was a fine structure. Like, okay, okay it's it needs to have paint. Maybe a little bit of a, a facial change on the outside. Yeah, that's just like, a lick of paint. But like on the inside, it's very modern. The studios that I've been in there look very appropriate. I did late debate there, I did Morning Ireland there several times. There was no issue whatsoever with me and how it actually operated. So I'm just wondering, are we getting too fancy here, you know? Mm. It actually works. What needs to happen here is we need to put a programme in place to make sure that it's actually maintained. Like talking to and listening to people, there has been a long-term issue about how the actual maintenance of the building has been looked at. Like, this is management. This is how you operate any entity, whether it's a shop, whether it's a farm, or it's a house. Like, you do have to involve maintenance here. And unfortunately, this goes back to RT and their management structures. And the big debate that's happening in the last maybe two and a half weeks literally comes down to 
basic stuff about how they're managing their property portfolio and how they're going to put a plan in place to make sure it's maintained or upgraded. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of questions here. I would be hoping that this now would become a part of the debate too. Like, what is their regional focus? What is their long-term plans? If there's going to be huge changes in RT, what we don't want them to see here is a fire sale where they're going to start disposing of properties. What they need to have is to make sure the regional focus they have is maintained and built upon. And with this headline here today in the papers, you'd be very so worried. worried about that. Yeah, and, and I did see one of the members of the staff who obviously don't, don't want to be named are saying, look, if RT are looking for redundancies, they should be looking at redundancies in Dublin and not out of the regional offices, and, and which is fair enough. That's a fair enough point. Like they have 1,800 staff. They have literally 50, 60 from Cork, like the majority of the staff are based in Dublin. Unfortunately, it has a Dublin focus and it always has. And I think I'd be very worried about this kind of d- dilution of the actual regional focus that they have at the moment. An awful lot of work has to be done to make sure that, that is kept. But within RT structures nationally, there's an awful amount of change going to happen here. Like Cindy and the auditors is probably going to be the start. What they'll find is going to be another issue and how we deal with that then will be the big issue. Yeah, somebody has pointed out, and I'm assuming there's somebody in the know saying the Cork studio was only fitted out not even a year ago. So parts of it uh, were certainly uh, done up. So when they, they talk about falling into disrepair, the roof might have some leaks and some outside painting needs to, to be done. But overall, it seems to be in a good nick. Just, Tim, before I let you go, what is your overall view on what we've been hearing now? We're, we're into the second week of it now at this stage. Are, are you shocked by everything that we've you've been hearing coming out of RT? I think the turbid issue absolutely shocked me. Like, I think there was payments that were not being disclosed was unheard of in many ways. And I think if you look at that from a business point of view, there's no business in Ireland could stand up for that kind of carry on that, that was happening there. But now there's this thing about just, you know, the special account that was used to pay for private or commercial people that were going on broad trips, whether it was the Champions League to rugby matches. Like there's a cultural issue here. And I think that's the biggest issue. And I think, unfortunately, the knock-on implication here is that there's literally 1,800 staff who are going to be affected because of a cultural issue, because of management. There's going to be huge changes in RT off the back of this. I think the Public Accounts Committee have their teeth well stuck into them at the moment. I think we're really only seeing the start of it. And I think there's a great fear that RT survival itself as an entity is, is really up for you know challenge at this stage. They are absolutely been badly damaged by bad management, bad organisation and a culture that hasn't helped anyone. The culture here has been literally this terminology of talent. I couldn't get over that, Patricia. Mm. Like they think that they were terminology of the first 10 high paid people who weren't considered to be staff or employees, but talent that shows you the cultural issues that we had within the organisation. And I think there's going to be huge changes here. And and, and ridiculous pay packets. And, you know, as the the new chair said, you know, bidding against themselves. I I said it last week, nobody is going to pay. And I don't want to be bashing for Ryan Tuberty, but nobody's going to pay him half a million to do an hour on the radio five days a week. That that doesn't exist in the commercial world, in the independent sector. No, it doesn't even come near what's happening in the real world. And like this isn't the UK or you know, the United States of America, where you're dealing with massive audience figures here, 5.2 million people is the potential here. Like, And like, they literally were bidding against themselves. 
and like the private sector are and they're, they're just jumping up and down about this they could not believe the actual packages and then we had you know displays at the committees where you know head of finance couldn't tell us how much he was earning like who doesn't know what they're earning you know mm. it was a bizarre scenario and I think it will dominate the headlines for the next six or eight weeks. Long term, the odds that's been proposed by the minister, I would think there's going to be some significant stuff come out of there. I yeah. think you could actually say we're going to need to tip it That's my fear. That is my real fear on this. Listen, Tim, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks thanks uh, for joining us. And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic uh, joining me on this Monday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And just to let people know, uh, texts and WhatsApp's now available if you want to text in because our competition is finished. 0862103103. Let's get straight into questions. Hi, question please for Annalise. What's the best advice for somebody suffering from acid reflux? So acid reflux. Um, normally what we do here, Patricia, is we put them on a couple of different supplements. The first one is something called zinc carnosin. It's spelled zinc, Z-I-N-C, and then carnosin, C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N. And this does two jobs. It can help tighten up that little valve at the top of the stomach to prevent acid from leaking up. And it also nourishes the mucus-producing cells of the stomach. So if the stomach can produce a lovely thick layer of mucus, it protects it when we release acid during um, when we eat our dinner. So acid is a hugely important part of digestion. It helps us break down our proteins. It helps us absorb B12 from our food. So it is important that we have good acid. That's one of the problems, actually, with the acid blockers is that they will um, prevent you from doing those things efficiently. Also, certain minerals like iron and calcium, they need to be slightly acidified in order for us to be able to absorb them efficiently. So long-term use of those PPIs like Nexium that block acid, they can actually make you more inclined to get osteoporosis down the road because they can prevent you from absorbing calcium. So going down the natural route is great. So the first thing is the zinc carnison. The second thing then I would recommend is something called Slippery Elm. And there's a couple of different supplements you can get, but the one that I really like is the BioCare Slippery Elm because it has marshmallow in there and something else called Gamma Arisenol. And these are really good to kind of heal any inflamed and irritated tissue in the stomach and in the esophagus. And with Slippery Elm, it kind of provides a mucilage a mucilage layer over the cells in your esophagus and in your stomach and it gives you a protection at that moment when you're eating. So you take it just before you eat your main meals three times a day. And then the last thing I'd recommend is a digestive enzyme. So this just takes the pressure off your own system to digest food and helps it just push it along a little bit, makes it easier. And normally I recommend people do two to three months of that and then you can probably cut everything else out except for the digestive enzyme once the reflux has stopped. Okay, uh, well done. All right. And this I'd never heard of tonsil stones. Listener says, I frequently get tonsil stones, and sometimes, even though I feel I have one, I find it difficult to shift it. I also constantly have a bad taste in my mouth and throat, and would like to know if there's anything I could take to help, as I'm very conscious if I am speaking to somebody up close. I know my teeth are fine, I've had that checked, but something to do with the tonsils. It's a strange one, Patricia. We've actually had it before on the programme because I didn't know what it was and I had to go look it up and do it the following week. So I do remember it now. Okay. And basically, these are little kind of hard stones that seem to form in the tissue and the tonsils or the back of the throat, almost kind of like hard calcium deposits. 
Um, and some people can get quite a lot of them and they can become infected in the worst case scenario. But a lot of the time they can just cause discomfort when swallowing. And they do also have, they make your breath smell. So ideally the best is prevention. There is actually no natural cure for these. And I don't, I could never find any reason as to why people get them. But what I think would work very well would be to do a proper gargle every single day with um, a mouthwash. Now, there's a couple of different ones that I'd recommend. There's Dr. Dealish Clare does a lovely one with some mirror in it, M-Y-R-R-H. You know, the two wise, the three wise men brought frankincense and mirror to the baby Jesus. And <clears throat> these, both of these mirror and frankincense have massively anti-inflammatory properties. So Dr. Clare does a lovely mouthwash wash with echinacea and sage and marinet, and it's brilliant for the hygiene of the mouth. So you could do a deep gargle with that. And then if you can't get your hands on that, uh, you could just simply do it with salt and water, but I would do it every single day. And then the third thing that might be of help is the grapefruit seed extract. Um, it basically is literally is the extract of the grapefruit seed. Um, it's called citricidal, the product that you buy in the health shop. Normally, I recommend it as an antifungal, but it is a great one for cleaning and keeping the mouth clean and healthy without destroying the good bacteria. So you could also do a mouthwash with that. And I think prevention is the best thing really there. Okay, now this is something new on me. Uh, Teresa has been on to say, has uh, Annelise any information on Aronia? It's a berry growing between Bantry and Glengariff. It's grown by a Dr. Steve Collins. It's been on sale in Bantry. It grows on shrub land. Um, Teresa has told us great for antioxidants, good for blood pressure and helps with diabetes. Have you any further information about this berry? Yeah, it's a be- it is a berry that grows um, very high in vitamin C as well, uh, very high in natural antioxidants, but so are all the berries. Um, I think the key with berries, Patricia, is if you can get them fresh, it's fantastic. Some of them have, uh, <clears throat> you know, better properties than other for certain things. For example, blueberries are incredibly good for eye health as well because there are pigments in the blueberries that are specifically good for the rods and cones at the back of the eyes. But generally, all berries are very good. But eat them within season. I'm not a big fan of berries in the winter time unless I get the frozen ones and I'd use those because they've generally been picked in Europe in the summer months. But I think, you know, we can't really be getting a huge amount of nutrition from berries that are being grown in Kenya and South Africa and then been put on a ship unripened mm-hmm. and sent all the way over and ripened artificially. So um, the aronia can be dried. You can grind it up and use it as a powder. You could actually probably buy powdered aronia in the health stores as well. You can certainly buy lots of other powdered berries in health stores. Again, I'm not too convinced that if they're sitting there powdered for a long time, that they'll have a lot of vitamin C and other vitamins in there. Um, But yet, they're very good natural um, anti-inflammatories, brilliant for the heart health. They'd be a big part of the Mediterranean diet, and the Mediterranean diet has time and time again been proven to be the best for heart and brain health overall. Yeah, I googled them. They're also known as choke berries, and they're seen as a genuine power food, the benefits of which are now only being fully understood. Okay, there's a new one on this. The only thing I'd say, Patricia, is that sometimes we spend an awful lot of money on, on power foods, you know, kale got very expensive. I remember that. There for a while. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with cabbage. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, hi, Anities. Uh, any advice, please, for somebody suffering from dizziness? Um, now, that's the million dollar question because there's lots of reasons that you could be suffering from dizziness. So, 
the first thing I suppose could be low blood sugar. If your blood sugar is dropping too low, that would definitely be a factor for dizziness. So if you're going long periods of time without eating, or if you've started actually developing kind of diabetic-like symptoms, like a lot of uh, thirst all the time or frequent urination, it could be something to do with your blood sugar. Um, sometimes if you're low and deficient in the B vitamins uh, of folate and B12 and the mineral iron, these are all needed for making your red blood cells, which carry oxygen around to your body. So if you become anemic, dizziness would be a very common common symptom of that and fatigue and tiredness and maybe even breathlessness as well so maybe get your bloods checked and make sure that those levels are okay or take a supplement with b12 folate and iron in it dizziness improve another thing it could be is it could be something called vertigo where a virus has actually affected the canals of the inner ear it's a virus very similar to the flu virus and it causes inflammation in those canals that are responsible for our balance so you get this dizzy feeling it's very common. Mostly the doctor would prescribe the um, the anti the travel drug, Stematol, which is a kind of an anti-nausea drug for traveling because a lot of people, you know, with the balance affected on ships and planes get very sick and dizzy. So it maybe could be that. So really there's you have to figure out what the cause is. Okay, and someone has a 10-year-old with a bloated stomach, rock-hard abdomen. What would you recommend? There could be a variety of things. It could again, but I suppose when I hear rock hard, Patricia, I think, um, I, I, wor- I wonder, is there constipation? So mm. uh, constipation, in my book, is if you're not having a bowel movement every single day. Um, I know a lot of doctors would say if you're, if you're not straining, it's not constipation. But I actually do think we need to evacuate our bowels every day because otherwise, that, those t- you know, all the pesticides and everything in our foods, additives, it's sitting in there, rotting away for more than 24 hours. So... I wonder, is that the case with this um, this little one? Um, if so, the foods that are very good for constipation would be things like kiwi fruits. Prunes can be good. Orange juice can work well for some people. Um, all the soluble fibres like porridge is an excellent one for soluble fibre. And psyllium husk is a type of fibre that's really easy to give to kids because you can hide it in breakfast cereals quite easily, especially ready break and porridges because it kind of goes a bit gloopy um, and that's a lovely gentle fibre to soften the stool um, so it could be that um, digestion if digestion isn't working well you can get digestive enzymes for kids Nature's Plus have a range called Animal Parade which is for children and that digestive enzyme is lovely and then the last thing is of course maybe take a probiotic because if it's just happened recently after an antibiotic um, or maybe even a stomach bug getting the good bacteria in there could help too. Okay, and Kay, uh, staying on bowel movements, had a colonoscopy and it was all clear, thank God. But she has what she describes as a constant bowel uh, movement and her stomach is very sore. What would you recommend? Okay, that sounds quite as if there's quite a bit of irritation there. Um, and it's, I wonder, is this just after the colonoscopy or is it the reason that she No, the, the colonoscopy was five years ago and it was all clear. Okay, so it's... So, okay, when I hear that um, regular bowel movements, I think nearly always food intolerance. So you're eating something that's not agreeing with you. Um, There is such a thing as too many bowel movements. Now, if you eat a lot of fibre, two or three bowel movements a day is fine. But if you're having more than that, actually the food is going through so quickly that you're probably not digesting and absorbing the good out of it. So it could affect your health in the long term. So what I'd start off with there is a digestive enzyme, a kind of a broad spectrum one. Terra Nova do a lovely one, actually, that also has probiotics in it. So you just take one capsule and it has everything in there. 
Um, so a digestive enzyme and a probiotic, and if that doesn't sort it out, you really are probably looking at food intolerance. So you're eating something that's irritating your system and it's going through you too quickly. And the best way to figure that out is to do a food intolerance test. But when I do them here in the shop, and I've done hundreds of them, the top foods that come back, Patricia, are eggs, um, dairy, pea, oranges, barley is another big one. And actually wheat and gluten are common, but nowhere near as common as those other fives. So maybe take a look wow. at those foods. Wow. Um, and then, hi, uh, Annalise. Uh, what would you recommend something for inflammation in the ankles, fingers and tummy? Would it be beneficial to pull particular food groups from my diet or introduce others that might help alleviate the problem? Also, interested in your views on jobs tear. Chinese pearl barley would that be a benefit for the inflammation? Okay, I'm not. I'm not sure about that pearl barley. I don't think I've heard of that, but I think I am always wary of when foods are very much touted as kind of the ultimate superfood. So, an anti-inflammatory diet actually should contain a rainbow of different foods, and they should be all whole foods and not cooked. So, we go back to the Mediterranean diet again, which is very high in. Omega-3 fats, lovely natural anti-inflammatories. You get those from oily fish or from things like walnuts, chia seeds, linseeds and uh, pumpkin seeds. So including those in your diet would put natural anti-inflammatory omega-3s in there. Also, the Mediterranean diet is very, very high in vegetables and berries. These would be very naturally high in plant-based chemicals that are anti-inflammatory and we've evolved to use them that way as well so it is great to get it from our food and then removing processed foods is key as well because these will actually have a lot of chemicals in there that the body isn't used to that we don't deal with well and that can actually stimulate inflammation so follow a very clean mediterranean diet if that's what you want to do in terms of food and that's an anti-inflammatory for the heart for the brain for the joints for the stomach for everything because what you're doing is you're putting in the kind of the sponges, the anti-inflammatory chemicals that will mop up and help reduce inflammation in the body. But if there is a lot of inflammation, I think you do probably need to take a supplement. And the best ones that we get results with generally are the extract of turmeric and turmeric itself. The extract is called curcumin and also boswellia, which is from frankincense. These are really nice, powerful anti-inflammatories and they work best when there's a lot of inflammation in the joints. So you might need to do a couple of months of those just to give yourself a kickstart and then hopefully manage it with diet. I've just done a Google search. I think it's, it should have been Job's Tears. It's used in traditional Chinese medicine. It's a type of millet and it's sort of cooling and diuretic effects. Okay. okay. All right. All and right. millet actually is a lovely one. We can, buy, we, can have, we can get millet in health shops. It's so gentle, Patricia. It's great if people have uh, gluten intolerance and it's a lovely alternative to porridge. OK. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you for that. As always, Thanks, a mine of information. Thanks for joining us. That is Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. And as always, uh, during the course of the afternoon, Annalise will put up all of the information that she shared with us today. And she puts it up on her own website under the section as heard on the radio. And her own website is healthhubstore.com, healthhubstore.com. And then John Paul also takes um, Annalise's slot as an individual podcast and puts 
puts it up on um, C103 or wherever you get your podcast from if you want to re-listen again to all of the information coming in from Annalise uh, today. And just if I time very quickly, just a couple of comments came in following my chat with Sen- with Senator Tim Lombard. And my apologies, I called him Tim Lynch at the end. It was Senator Tim Lombard uh, who joined us, who was worried about this uh, talk of selling off the studios of RTE in Cork. Michael says, Patricia, parking is a nightmare around the RTE studios in Cork. The bit of parking space they did have underneath, part of that was turned into the Today studio for Dahi and Maura. Um, I'm not sure uh, how much of it was taken up, I'm not sure, but Michael says, yes, uh, expand Cork. He would love to see this happen, but go to a new location. And then Amri says, the rumour about selling the Cork uh, studio would show a lack of fourth horse within RTE, if true. Conversely, if RTE sold their huge property in D- Dublin 4, it would make far more sense. They could move to a location in Kildare or Leash where the property is cheaper. The location would make a massive, relocation would make a massive uh, prop- property because of demand in Dublin 4. Surely selling Cork would not uh, reap half the money they'd make out of Dublin. OK, that's where I leave you for today. Thank you, Emery. Thanks, John Paul. Be good with you today. Afternoon. On with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.